the Chair 2 Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Danny Smith and Ben South. If you lead from the second chair or you work with those who do, this is a place for you. We're glad you're here for conversations about the church, ministry, life, and how we can serve better for God's kingdom. Well, thanks for joining us on Chair 2 Leaders this week. We're glad to have you listening in as always. We're also glad to have our sponsor, Central Baptist College, who has been a faithful sponsor of Chair 2 Leaders. We want you to go check them out at cbc.edu. If you need to finish your degree or you need to work on some ministry training, Central Baptist College in Conway, Arkansas is a great place for you to look. They've got online options and in-person options that can help you get down the road in your ministry and in your calling that God has for you. So go check out Central Baptist College at cbc.edu. Well, today's a little bit different on Share 2 Leaders. Typically, we are having new conversations or new guests, but we've had some illnesses going through Danny and mine's families, and so we weren't able to record this week, but we want you to go back and listen to a classic episode of Chair 2 Leaders. Now, I'm not sure if Chair 2 Leaders is actually old enough to have classic episodes, but this is one of our favorites from early on in Chair 2 Leaders. So go back, enjoy this conversation uh, with one of my favorite leaders, Freddie Pike. Freddie, glad to have you with us and glad you're sitting to talk with us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about where you've served and kind of all the hats you've worn through the years. Well, I have worn lots of hats. Um, I started out uh, age 19. A pastor came by and said, what are you doing Monday? That was a Saturday. I said, well, nothing. He said, well, good. You have an appointment with a pulpit committee. So that was my uh, introduction into the possibility of serving on church staff. And so I, I preached at that little church for a year when I was 19 years old. I still have the outlines, which I get out and read when I want to have a laugh or two, uh, because they were, they were terrible. But yeah, anyway. I think, I think we all have those outlines. Yeah. In fact, it may be argued that I still have those outlines, but I, anyway. I do have them. Um, then... Um, Went to uh, Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, got my master's in religious education, uh, came back and served at First Baptist North Little Rock, which doesn't exist any longer. I'm not sure if there's a connection between that and me being there or not. Uh, And then uh, joined the state uh, Sunday school department of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention served as the youth consultant for five years, left, went down to Pine Bluff, joined the staff of Watson Chapel Baptist Church. Then they asked me to be director of missions in that association, so I did that. Then came back to the Baptist building in Little Rock and was state Sunday school director and director of the assembly at Siloam Springs. Then went to to, uh, Bolivar, Missouri for... uh, the last uh, nine or ten years or so of my active ministry and uh, retired from there. So you, you've worked in a lot of places, and, and Freddie, you're a Christian education Sunday school expert, and, and you know you are the, the guru of Sunday school issues. Would that be an accurate statement? Well, it depends on who you ask. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are other words that people have used to describe <laughs> me, but um, yeah— 
basically, I, for the 17 years that I worked in the state convention office, I, I, I was basically a Sunday school growth, Sunday school uh, trainer for those uh, 17 years, uh, both times that I worked there. So, yeah, most people know me from the Sunday school perspective. Now, you're a career lifelong chair two person. When you've been in a church role, you've never served as a senior pastor. You've always been in one of those secondary leadership roles. And when you were in the convention, you were working with a lot of secondary leaders in a lot of those places, even a lot of lay leaders, probably. So you've you've seen that side of ministry for the long haul. Yes, I've, I've done, um, of course, that first little church I served, I preached for a year that I think the Lord said, well, let's see if we can find something else for him. And uh, so <laughs> I, didn't, uh, I didn't do that uh, too long. But I've been a minister of education, minister of music, minister of youth, church business administrator, youth consultant, adult consultant, director of missions, camp director. So, yeah, I have worn a lot of hats. You know, the first, uh, I, I guess first uh, big official job that I had in the church. Um, I don't even know what that means, but the first official job that I consider a staff job, I remember where the you pastor, got a paycheck, the, where I got a paycheck. That's exactly, that's a great way to put it. So I remember the pastor sort of sitting down with me and I was in my early twenties, mid twenties. And he said, now Danny here, um, we have to wear a lot of different hats and we didn't wear quite that many hats that you have worn, but it was a great lesson that really I've carried over. Um, and I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a senior pastor now and, uh, have done that for several years now to be able to just remember that, uh, regardless of chairs, you know, you do wear different hats and out of all the ones that you've wore, which one did you enjoy the most? Um, you know, I would have to say the denominational positions were more enjoyable uh, to me. Uh, when you're in local church work, uh, deadlines come pretty regular. You know, Sunday shows up every third day or something like that, seems like. And so when you're in denominational work, you've got deadlines, but they're spread out further. And so uh, being director of the camp at Siloam Springs was a great deal of joy uh, for me. And doing Sunday school training all across the state of Arkansas and uh, Lifeway picked me up and I did conferences in 23 different state conventions. So that was, that was a lot of fun. You know, one of the things that, uh, just as you've been sharing, that uh, has, you know, uh, that I'm thinking of, you know, I know for me, um, when the Lord started leading me into more of that um, uh, chair one role that I'm in now, but again, the chairs are multiple, the hats are multiple, so maybe, you know, we don't want to be too hard and fast on that. But moving into that chair one, um, one of the things that I remember is feeling this impatience, almost like, hey, I need to get into the real chair. But what I love about your testimony and what I'm even learning now, if I could go back and tell myself 10, 15 years ago, is that every chair counts and every chair has value and every chair matters. And I love that your testimony um, really expresses that. Yeah, it's, um, I've said for a long time, uh, back, especially when I was doing church growth, it, it takes both a really good pastoral preaching 
experience and a real good Sunday school experience together uh, to uh, to reach people and um, you really can't do it with one or the other. It's a both and uh, situation. Yeah. One of the things, Freddie, I remember from probably 20 years ago when when I first met you in class, I think it was a survey in Christian education class um, that I took with you. You said something about how God's calling on our lives that really impacted me then. It's kind of stuck with me since then about how it can change over the years through the decades and how he that calling works out in our life. Talk about that for just a second, because you really had some good insights back then, and you probably could say more about it now even than, than I could. At my age, I'm trying to remember what I said. Um, but I think, um, I, th- I think my basic point that I was trying to teach the students is that, uh, you know, I'm not called to be a minister of education. And I'm not called uh, to be an associate pastor. I'm called to be a minister. That shows up in different wrappings all the time. And because, like I said, I, I, I was a minister. The first church I served out of seminary, I was minister of music and education and youth, which I generally refer to as the minister of miscellaneous. But you know when you get into a situation, God is going to move you. I was a director of missions for a while in the state office twice. So I I still fulfill my calling, but God dressed that calling in different wrappings at different times of my life. And that's so good. I don't know that that's something that I learned until really the last few years. You know, when I was, uh, you know, expressing that call to ministry and Ben, you might have been the same way. It was, okay, well, you need to go pastor. And uh, which obviously I think for the people telling me that it came from a a good place. I don't think they were, you know, um, you know, trying to steer me wrong as much as that was kind of the only option. And it almost felt like other options were like, well, you can do that while you're young, but now when you get older, you know, you're going to move into this particular position. So, uh, you know, for, for me now, like you said, it takes all of those working together. And, you know, if you try to, if you try to disconnect all that, it just, it falls flat so many times. Yeah. And one of the things I try to tell younger folks in the ministry, especially is uh, you need to be sure of your calling. Um, If you're not sure of your calling somewhere along the way, you're going to say, you know what, I don't have to put up with this. And uh, you're going to go be a plumber or something. But if you're sure of your calling, then um, you can uh, you can deal with a lot of negative things that always come sooner or later uh, to a uh, full-time church worker. And um, I've I've just said to him, you need to be sure of your call because somewhere along the way, you're going to get chewed out by some of the nicest people you'll ever meet, and uh, you have to learn to deal with the. The other people in the church who also think they're your boss instead of just the pastor being your boss. And, uh, you know, calling is very important. You need to be sure about that. A hundred percent. I think that's something Ben and I have talked about a lot of, you know, we're both PKs. And so uh, being in ministry is kind of, I mean, really, I don't know much else besides that. But you're right. There are seasons. 
Um, there are seasons that we walk through where that calling is all that we have. And it's not always in negative seasons. Uh, sometimes, and this is something that I've, you know, dealt with a few times over the years where you think, okay, now I'm 35 or I'm 40. Do I want to do this the rest of my life? And, you know, it's always been a refining time that God has just helped that calling even more. Uh, like you said, kind of kind of express itself in a different wrapping or uh, maybe a little different look than what the previous years have looked like. I don't know about that for you, Ben. Yeah, I'd say that's a, 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 a similar thing I would express as well. And just, okay, I'm serving God and serving him and he's called me to the ministry and this is where I'm serving now and how he wants me to do this and work it out. And if this is where he's got me, this is where I need to be and where I need to be all in. So, now, Freddie, you've been in it a while. What are some of the big changes you've seen in, as far as non-senior pastor leadership in the church, um, you know, ways that we can serve, they do serve? How has that shifted? Have you seen that change, or have there been any changes? Well, from the educational standpoint, uh, when I started, as I, I graduated from seminary the first time about 1970, and uh, generally in a local church, the pastor and the minister of education were standing side by side. You know, they relied on each other. And uh, now that has shifted somewhat to the pastor and the minister of music, for example. Seems to be right-hand folks because the emphasis has shifted from education and discipleship to worship and you know I don't know that that's bad it's just that um, education in many churches seems to have taken uh, not chair two but chair three four or five somewhere down in there um, and I, you know that uh, that is not a healthy thing in my opinion but um, that is one of the shifts that I have seen and and, and one of the other shifts comes with the invent of technology, where if you want to know how to do something, you don't have to go to a workshop anymore. You can click up on YouTube and find somebody who can explain it to you. And so that, that whole process of how we get educated and trained uh, has changed a lot in the last uh, several years. Now, uh, the old methods, do they still work? Yeah, they do if you're willing to work them. It, it takes a lot of work, but uh, you can get folks to show up at meetings if you'll uh, promote it right. Let's let's dive down a little bit there because we've talked about this before, and I want to share that because I, I think there's this idea we have to do it new ways to get things to work today and to get people and to reach out people and for people to be involved. We have to do something new and innovative. But there is the aspect of the old ways still work if we're willing to work them. The problem is we're we're adverse to work it sometimes, and we don't want to put the effort in. And it's a lot easier to grab the newest, flashiest thing versus to put the hard work in to do it, which in some ways may end up being deeper, longer-lasting fruit in ministry if we're willing to put that energy into it. Yeah, and um, one of the things I've noticed that it uh, especially among um, directors of missions, state workers, those denominational level folks, 
we were used to, uh, you know, being asked to come lead workshops. That'd be a pretty good crowd there. We'd have a good time. We thoroughly in, enjoyed that. But then our folks got to where they substituted announcing a meeting to promoting a meeting. And uh, they, they would simply announce, hey, we're going to have this training meeting. Uh, Y'all need to show up, bring your workers, yada, yada. And uh, hardly anybody came because it was just announced. So uh, one of the things we used to do to promote meetings is, uh, and I did this once here in the association where I'm a member of now uh, after I retired, uh, we had a lunch one day for pastors on Sunday and wives and Sunday school directors and wives, and we promoted a workshop. We asked them to send us the names and addresses of all their Sunday school workers, and I needed them by Friday because if you give them three weeks, they'll take three weeks or four. So give them to me by Friday. And so we got a couple hundred names in, and um, we uh, sent a letter to every one of those uh, people so they got a personal letter. Then we divided those names up into groups and we enlisted volunteers to make a phone call into the homes of all of those workers that had been, uh, the names that had been given to us and worked that process. Uh, and we had, I think, right at 180 people that showed up at the meeting compared to 20 or 30 that would come if you just announce a meeting. So, yeah, it works, but you got to work it. But announcing is so much easier. Yes, yes. Quicker. Yes. It's quicker and it's easier. We think, well, they'll respond to the announcements if they want to. And I think that's a good idea because you do need to announce it, but you're going to have to do more than just say, hey, we're offering this and say, here's why you need to do this. You individually, I want you personally to come and be a part of this. You personally will benefit from this, not just generally it's good for everybody in the ministry or if you're teaching. And if it's a, that personal invite makes a, a long, and it goes a long way in people's lives if you will do that. Yeah, Especially I think if you see chair one, chair two, three, four, five, however you do that in your church, all promoting it and not yeah, just, yes. hey, you're the uh, you're the education guy, go promote that for us. But yeah. buy-in from the entire leadership structure, whether it's single, pastor church, multiple, whatever, it's got to be those key people who are plugged in because— you know, one of the things that kind of sprung to mind was basically we're we're still trying to learn how to integrate this innovation into things that we know that work, things that we think might could work. And of course, pandemic has caused us to maybe look at some some new ideas and stuff like that, but it's still a struggle. And I see this in the business world. I see this in the church world. And Ben, you said it, it takes just a little bit of work on your part to go up to somebody and have an actual conversation with them and help them explain why this could be helpful for their life or why you want them involved. I mean, that might sound a little cliche to put it that way, but you know what I mean? There's that personal conversation and touch that technology just, it can't replace. That's, well, that's true. And uh, you, you, you hit on a real key when you said you got to get the whole team working on it, but especially the pastor, chair one, has to tell the people by actions, either verbally or somehow, that, hey, this is important to me. Because what is important to the pastor becomes important to the people. 
And uh, if you're trying to do something like this, and uh, the pastor never mentions it or never acknowledges it or never promotes it, uh, you're going to have a hard time. Well, there's some good stuff there. And I think it's one of the big things I'm going to take away from this. It's You just got to be willing to do the work. Yeah, for sure. You know, technology innovations, very helpful in many ways, but you're right. I mean, we've got to work hard and it's just a reminder to roll up those sleeves day in, day out because we are, it's like you said, we are, we are educating for discipleship. We want to see people more like Jesus and everything, whether chair one, chair two, or whether you're not even sitting in a chair, but you're just in the church pew, you know, seeing people more like Jesus. So Freddie, thank you for joining us again. I'm like being, we're going to have to bring you back. And uh, there's just, there's too much wisdom there that we, uh, we didn't even get to in this particular episode. But uh, before we let you go, just a couple of quick things. Uh, you mentioned that you worked uh, as a camp director. So I have sort of a serious question for you. What was the worst church camp food or food item that you had? Well, you know, uh, I worked at what is now called Camp Siloam. They've, uh, they've upgraded that food pretty good. Uh, but uh, actually, I ate everything we cooked. Now, the kids would have a different story. But uh, we had a Peter Pan peanut butter jar on every table with a loaf of bread. So you could always salvage a meal with peanut butter. Peanut butter to the rescue. I yes. like it. I like it. Yep. Kids don't know how good they have it sometimes. And so, uh, listen, we are so thankful um, that uh, you joined us. Thank you for the ministry, your faithfulness. Um, we are uh, hoping that many that listen to this will just be encouraged. I know I have been today. And you're on Facebook if people want to connect with you that yes. way. Yeah. Uh, you and, can, uh, just my name on Facebook and my picture will show up, white hair, white beard, look like Santa Claus. So if you find several of us, pick, pick the one that looks like Santa. So there you go. You can connect with Freddie Pike, the one who looks like Santa. Thanks for joining us on Chair 2 Leaders this week. Hope you have a great one, and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Chair 2 Leaders. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest updates, and make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to Chair 2 Leaders wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.